Let me see where I want you to turn. John chapter 3. Turn there. John chapter 3 tonight. We are in our series, Theology for Life. Are you awake tonight? All right, good, good. We're going to do some teaching and a little bit of preaching tonight. John chapter number 3. I'm going to be teaching something that is very, very near uh, to my heart. In fact, Pastor David, who organizes a lot of these series, asked me last week, do you want to teach we got two more in kind of the salvation theology bracket. Do you, do you want to teach on sanctification, uh, that part of salvation, or do you want to teach on eternal security? And just given my past with, with struggling with the idea of eternal security, I said, I want to do that one. I want to study it, and I want to read about it, and I think it just, it'll, it'll come out of my heart a little more naturally. And so, anyway, he's going to do sanctification. I'm going to do eternal security, and that's kind of the topic for tonight. Um, I think one of the hardest questions uh, that we ask ourselves is this. If I know I am saved now, how can I know I will be saved in the future? This is the question I struggled with personally for well over a decade of my life. And I think a lot of Christians struggle with it, not just as young people. I think a lot of Christians struggle with it as adults. And unfortunately, in the church world, doubting the security of your salvation has almost become shameful. Almost become like, like, just don't say anything about it, because if you don't know, then you just must not know at all. And and, and so I think a lot of people are embarrassed by maybe not knowing for sure, wrestling with, with, with that doubt. But but I want you to know tonight that, that we'll even talk about some of them in Scripture. Some of the finest men of God in history have wrestled with this. And, and, and I think it's something that, that God can really help you with by studying this tonight. I, I think this lesson, this sermon tonight, has potential to either be a comfort to you or it can be a warning to you. A comfort for those that are saved and just need to be reminded of your security in Christ. And a warning to those that might think you're saved, um, but you're not. And anytime you talk about eternal security, if you don't mention both sides of that, then you're not teaching it completely. And that's my burden tonight. Uh, There are really three names uh, for this doctrine, and they all connect to each other. Here's the first name we have for the doctrine, preservation. I want you to get this. Preservation describes God's side. Of empowering our ongoing faith. Okay, get that. It's God's side of keeping us secure. Then there is uh, perseverance. That describes our side of ongoing faith. And eternal security, the phrase we know well, is the result of both of those things. Now we're going to use the same structure. Those are going to be important. We'll revisit those. But we're going to use the same structure that we've been using to discuss this theology. And that's, we're going to show you how, what scripture says about it. And then we're going to end by applying it to our lives. So notice first, eternal security explained from scripture. Plainly stated, here's what eternal security means. It's the teaching that those who've received God's saving grace can never lose that grace. That our status as justified is not subject to change. When God declares us justified, not condemned, justified, then that will not change. 
In God's eyes, it won't even waver. So I want to break that down a little bit into smaller pieces. Here's what it means. First, believers cannot be condemned. Cannot be condemned. John chapter 3, I want you to be turning in your Bible. Most verses will not be on the screen tonight, okay? So grab your device if that's what you use. Or grab your copy of God's Word and get ready to turn tonight with me. John 3 verse 18, by the way, this is a good practice. You can start learning where books of the Bible are. In your Bible, if you're a new Christian, this is good for you. The Bible says this, Jesus is speaking. He that believeth on him, verse 18, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The plain meaning of this text is that there are only two kinds of people in the world in regard to to legal standing before God. There are those that are in the category of condemned and there are those in the category of not condemned. The only kind of people in the not condemned category are those who are believing on Jesus. When I say believing on Jesus, I'm not talking about mental assent. I'm talking about, about relying on Jesus. You get what I'm saying? I've illustrated this before. I just want to be clear when I say belief, because a lot of people say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, a lot of people know about Jesus. But when I say believe, I mean faith. I mean rely. So, so my son at the McCray pool, when we were trying to teach him how to swim, I, I, would, I would stand in the shallow end and he would be on the edge of the pool. And I would say, jump to me, Kev. And he struggled with that. He would, he would just kind of come all the way down and not jump. He's so scared of the water. And eventually he would, he would kind of jump and then he'd really jump and then he'd say, go deeper and he'd go deeper and he would run and jump. And before long, he had complete faith that me as his father would catch him. He, he relied on me so much so he took both feet off the ground into the air, into a body of water or a pool of water that was way beyond his ability to survive in by himself. Are you with me? This is what belief is in. It's taking your feet off the ground. It's jumping into the pool. It's putting all your faith in what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross. And by the way, taking your faith and reliance off yourself at the same time. So if you're believing like that, here's what Jesus says. You cannot be condemned. Boy, that's good news for the Christian tonight. Turn to Romans chapter 8, would you please? That's just two books to the right. You'll see Acts, and then I want you to get to Romans. By the way, we're going to be in Acts 15, verse 1 through 31. I wrote that sermon today for Sunday. I'm excited about it. You ought to read it. Romans chapter 8. Don't read it on your way to Romans. Read it tonight. This is, man, if you're going to live in a chapter of the Bible, you ought to live here for a while. This is an amazing chapter. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Isn't that a great verse? So we see that believers in Jesus are not only saved from present condemnation but we're saved from future condemnation. And praise the Lord for that. Here's a second truth as it relates to eternal security. Jesus promised He would not lose any of his own. This is amazing. John chapter 6. Go back to John. Go back to John chapter 6. I want you to look at several verses there. 37 through verse 40. John chapter 6. 37 through 
40. I want you to see this with your eyes. I want you to buy into these theologies on your own. I want you to learn them. Hide them in your heart. This is incredible. Even if you don't personally struggle with doubt, you might be able to help somebody who does. This will be helpful to you. Verse 37 of John chapter 6. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That is an amazing verse. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing. But should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me. That everyone which seeth the son. And believeth on him. May have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Amazing promise. The condition. For being raised up at the last day. Is this. Believing on Christ. Jumping in the pool. Relying on the Lord. God is promising that all the ones who rely on him will be the same ones resurrected to Christ. Now turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Verse 24 through 30. Some of these will be familiar verses that I I think will, will resonate with you. Amazing passage here. John chapter 10, verse 24. Then came the Jews, this gives us context, round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. So Jesus answered them, I told you, and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish. I love this. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Even greater. My father which gave them me is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. I and my father are one. That statement, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand, was directed at those Jewish religious leaders who were bitter against those who were following Jesus. And Jesus is telling them that there's no way they'll be able to pull these people away from Christ no matter how hard they try. They will not be able to pull them away from Christ because he's their shepherd. He will take good care of them. He adds on, no man could pluck them out of the Father's hand either. That means our salvation is not only just as sure as the Messiahship of God the Son, but also the will of God the Father. Meaning we are secure in the Father who planned salvation and we're secure in the Son who made the provision of salvation in His death. Amazing. Notice thirdly, nothing can separate the believer from God's love. Romans chapter 8. I know we're bouncing back and forth, but go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate the believer from God's love. Verse 33 through 39. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God. Who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword as it is written for thy sake. We are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the church said amen. Amen. The passage doesn't need a lot of explanation. There's just nothing in creation that can separate us from God's love. And here's why. His love is unconditional. God won't even stop loving us based on our moral performance or lack thereof. Here's why. It wasn't our morality that caused him to love us in the first place. Four, salvation is eternal because the work that God began in us will be finished. God will finish his work in us. Turn to Philippians chapter one. Keep going to the right. You'll get to first and second Corinthians. You'll get to Galatians. Then you'll get to Ephesians, a couple short books, and you'll get to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. I want you to look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it or finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's an amazing verse. Do, Do you remember Elon Musk and the Tesla truck? Do you remember this? Did you know that the billionaire was showing off his supposedly shatterproof glass? I watched this on YouTube last night. Supposedly shatterproof glass in this truck. He was doing a live on television demonstration. Had someone come up and throw this like heavy metal like ball looking object at the window. Me and my wife were watching it. And and it wasn't supposed to shatter. And it shattered. And he was so awkward. He had no idea what to do. He looked at it and said, well, that wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) What's the point? The prototype wasn't finished. Does your life ever feel like a prototype that's not finished? Do you have various sin struggles in your life that constantly remind you that you're still not shatterproof? Anger? And lust and anxiety and fear and bitterness and selfishness and and pride or materialism or greed or discontentment or laziness or procrastination or lying. Right about the time you feel like you're you're a put together Christian. (laughs) Here comes a metal object of sin and it reminds you, man, I'm still an unfinished prototype. Our sins and our failures make us feel that way. But we can take encouragement from Philippians 1 verse 6. God is faithful to finish the work he has started in us. God is the one who saves. God is the one who began the work the moment we came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. God is the one, we read it earlier, that keeps our inheritance reserved for us in heaven. God is the one who makes sure that we're going to arrive there to receive it. Yes, yes, we're imperfect. Yes, we're not finished masterpieces yet. But our maker has promised to complete his work in us. And we can count on the fact that our maker finishes what he starts. That's eternal security stated. A good summary of it from scripture. But how does it relate to our daily lives? So we'll discuss next. These promises of God. And I'm going to get technical here a little bit. But I think this will help our church. The promises of God regarding our salvation 
I think are a great benefit to us, especially if we face doubts about our position before God, like, like I have for so long. But, but we need to think carefully tonight about how we connect the doctrine of eternal security to our lives. We, we shouldn't only think of, of one side of the doctrine of eternal security. Meaning we can't just think about the preservation side. God keeping us secure. We must also think about the perseverance side. The believer's ongoing faith in Christ. On the one hand, the Bible clearly does not teach that staying saved is a matter of merit or effort. We, we can't do anything to please God in and of ourselves, right? We can't do anything to save ourselves. And by the way, we can't do anything to keep ourselves saved. On the other hand, watch. The Bible also doesn't teach that God keeps us saved by some sort of divine decree as if it was automatic. But like we pray a prayer, he declares us justified, and now we just believe what we want and live however we want. So how does preservation and perseverance connect? It's important that we understand this. I like to say it this way. Eternal security does not negate faith. So keep believing. Let's study this. Here's what salvation is not. Salvation is not having a moment of faith. And then even if a person stops trusting and relying on Christ, they still get to go to heaven because after all, at one point in their life, they had a moment of faith and they prayed a prayer. That's not salvation. And here's how I know. John chapter 3 verse 18. He that believeth on him is not condemned. That word believeth doesn't just mean a past belief. It means a present ongoing belief. The person who isn't condemned is the person who is currently believing in Jesus Christ for their salvation. If someone is saved without presently having faith in Christ right now, then by implication, we have to believe That someone could have been saved without ever having faith in Christ at all. That someone could actually be justified apart from Christ. And we know that's not the gospel. So while the Bible teaches that God keeps the saved saved, the Bible also teaches that if you're not trusting in Jesus, you're not saved. You're condemned. How can both of those things be true? 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. I want you to turn there. We read it earlier, but I want you to turn there, would you? You're going to see why this matters so much in a moment. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 5. In fact, let's just skip to verse 5 since we already read 3 and 4. Talks about Jesus' resurrection and, and how that has provided for us and secured for us an inheritance in heaven. Verse 5 is important. Who? Believers. Who? Believers are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I want you to see what Peter's saying. If Peter just said that we're kept through faith, that's it. Well, then we might worry we could lose it because sometimes our faith wavers. But if Peter only said we're kept by God and he didn't include our faith... 
we may tend to think that no matter what we believe in the future, we're going to escape hell. But Peter says, God keeps us through faith. What does that mean? Here it is. God has the power to keep us saved, but he keeps believers saved through the means of their ongoing faith. Isn't that what Peter says? Is there any other way to understand that verse? Who are kept by the power of God through faith. What does Ephesians 2 say? You're saved through faith. Peter says, you are kept saved through Is it talking about God's faith? No, you weren't saved because God had faith in you. You were initially saved because you had faith in God. And you are kept saved because you have faith in God to keep you saved. Now I want to press into this a little bit more. The Greek word for faith, and I promise I'm not cussing, this is the Greek word. Pistis. Get all the laughs out and all the silly stuff you want to talk about. It involves two things. Two things. This is so important. It it involves intellectual assent. We call it belief. And it involves allegiance or loyalty. Did you get that? Assent and allegiance. So watch this. Having faith in Jesus means I trust he died for my sin. Assent. And then I submit to him as my Lord. Allegiance. That's why we say that somebody is saved through faith and repentance. Not just faith, but turning their back on their sin. Repentance. Through a loyalty to follow God. Peter, James, John, Andrew were fishing in their boats. Jesus said, follow me. They didn't say, I'll follow you from a distance. I'm going to stay holding my nets and my career. And and James and, and John were in the boat with their father Zebedee. It was a family business. And they left him in the boat. They walked out of the business. That is repentance. That is not just saying, yep, we believe you're Messiah, but we're going to stay right here in the boat. No, there was a scent and there was allegiance. Are you with me? If there's a scent without allegiance, one is not saved. When Paul says that true Christians, watch this, believe in their hearts, Romans 10, that God has raised him from the dead. What is he talking about? The ascent side. But when Paul says that he finished the course, 2 Timothy 4, finished the course and kept the faith, he's talking about the loyalty side. Here's what it boils down to. If you have faith in Jesus, that means you are simultaneously relying on his death and resurrection while submitting to him as Lord and King of your life. You are believing and surrendering. Does that make sense? So let me speak to a couple of questions that you might have popping and swimming around in your brain right now as a result of some things I've said. Question one, pastor, what if I doubt? Does that mean I'm not saved because I'm struggling to believe in the present? Well, doubt doesn't mean that you're automatically lost. John the Baptist doubted. Do you remember that? He was on death row. Herod had him locked up. He was going to be beheaded and he was. And in that dark dungeon, 
he literally said out loud, like, go see if he's really the Messiah. I'm having a hard time believing this anymore. Would the real Messiah let me rot away in here? Would the real Messiah let me lose my head? Is he really who he says he is? So so I don't think that you're lost if you go through a season of searching. You go through a season of doubting and struggling in your faith. I do believe, however, if you choose willfully to stay there and that doubt becomes persistent denial of Christ, that you're likely lost. Not because you became lost when you started doubting, but because you've never, you've been lost all along. If you can willfully turn your back on Christ and say, some people use this phrase, deconstructing my faith. I don't think that God looks down and says, nope, they're not fit to be my child anymore. Let's just kick them out. We're not in a foster care system with God. We're adopted, Ephesians chapter 1. All right, he doesn't just get rid of us. It's unconditional love. Nothing can separate us from God. I think it's a sign of the fact if that person's faith doesn't persevere, and it's not just a season, it's a willful choice then it could be indication that their faith never really existed. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? 7? When when he'll look at people one day uh, on the last day, uh, on judgment day, and, and he'll say what? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Notice he didn't say, I stopped knowing you. In other words, we were, we were not once in a relationship. Then I broke up. I never knew you. Like we never got in a relationship. It was never a scent and allegiance. It might have been a scent, but there was never true allegiance. If there's persistent denial, then, then I would question whether there's ever been real faith. Here's another question. What if I live in sin? Does that mean I'm not saved? Well, let's compare the lives of two disciples, Peter and Judas, both really bad sinners. Both sinned basically at the same time, right? Peter denied Jesus and quit on Jesus. You know, he went back to fishing. Judas betrayed Jesus and sold him out. What we know from scripture is Peter was saved and Judas was lost. What was the difference between the two men who both sinned? Peter, watch here, was chastened by the Lord. Judas wasn't. Remember, Jesus went back after Peter. He rose from the grave. And he went, he wanted to know where Peter was. He went to find Peter, to confront Peter, to call Peter back to righteousness and a loving relationship with him. Again, Jesus never did that with Judas. Because Judas wasn't his child to begin with. And Hebrews 13 speaks of this chastening of the Lord. And what does Hebrews 13 say? It says, maybe it's Hebrews 12. The the Lord only chastens his own. In fact, it says that you're actually an illegitimate child if you're not disciplined by the Lord. Thus, if you sin and you're chastened by the Lord, you're saved. If you sin and you're not chastened by the Lord, you're condemned. If if when you sin, God draws you to confess and and repent after you sin, he is doing with you what he did with Peter. 
Even if you temporarily turn your back and, and, and you go back to living for the world, but God draws you and God uses different means and, and even patiently, it could span through a number of, of years. But if God does that, He does that because you're His child. If Kevin turned his back on me and he turned 18 and he went away from the church and, and all of that, I, can, I, can, I would be spitting mad for a while and really sad for a long time. But here's what I know. I would always be his father. And if that boy kept, came crawling back to me, there might be a, a hard, long conversation. But the first thing he's going to get from me is a hug. If I'm in my right mind and in the right heart, I'm going to treat him like he's my kid. And any open opportunity I get to go after him, I'm going after him. He's my child. Some other kid that plays with Kevin on a regular basis decides to rebel. Well, I ain't going after him. I mean, I'll try to save his life as he's drowning or something. But, but if I'm not going to treat him like he's my child. He's not my child. There's going to be a distance in the way I respond to his sin. And that's the same thing with Jesus. If, if, if somebody can sin and persist in sin and stay in sin and there's no drawing from the Holy Spirit to repent of sin and confess sin and get accountability for sin and get help with sin. If there's none of that, on the authority of God's word, that person is an illegitimate child. That's serious stuff. Why am I preaching the application like this? Here's why. Because I think we have, as Baptists, historically believed and presently do believe in eternal security. Amen and amen. But I think in an effort to preserve this doctrine, we've overcorrected at times. And we've emphasized the preservation of our souls, which describes God's side of keeping us secure by empowering our ongoing faith. Think about it. That's, that's what all the songs are written about. You don't read about many songs that talk about our side of ongoing faith. We read about God's side. Like he's going to keep us saved. Once saved, we're always saved. And that's so true. And you'll hear me say that from the pulpit. But we have failed sometimes by underemphasizing perseverance, which is our side of ongoing faith. And, and the danger of underemphasizing perseverance and even repentance is giving false assurance to an unbeliever. We've got to be careful not to make it sound like all you have to do to know you're saved is be able to go back and remember a prayer you prayed as a kid. And so long as you can do that, you're saved. It doesn't matter if you've willfully turned your back on Christ. It doesn't matter if you've willfully persisted in your sin. It doesn't matter if you've had no intentions of repentance. So long as you can go back to the date at vacation Bible school that you prayed a prayer, then you're safe with God. I'm afraid that, that a lot of people have false assurance because they are trusting in simply a prayer. The assent side, but not the allegiance. And now they say, hey, I might struggle with doubt and, and all that, but hey, I know, I, I'm not really a church person, but man, I know, I know God's still keeping me saved because I prayed. I'll give you a, for instance, this isn't going on anywhere in our church, but this is something me and David talked about, a good example of this. There's a, let's just imagine there's a 15-year-old girl who says that she got saved as a five-year-old at vacation Bible school, but now as a teenager, she wants to persist in premarital sex with her boyfriend. 
So she puts herself on birth control. Or her mother helps her get on birth control, however it works, to persist in the sin, fully knowing that it's rebellion against God's word. I would seriously question the validity of her salvation if she knowingly and persistently refused to submit to God's word about fornication. Do you understand what I'm saying? If after being taught and counseled and and, and lovingly helped along the way. That teenager goes, nope. I deny that. I deny that. I'm not talking about a season of rebellion. I'm talking willful rebellion. I am going to get birth control because I will persist in sexual fornication. Is there really allegiance there? Is there really a present tense ongoing faith? That's why I'm I'm a bit passionate tonight about us getting both sides of the coin of this theology. I can understand how some denominations get really, really frustrated with Baptists. Who say this, well, yeah, you guys believe in eternal security, but you can just get saved and live however you want. And so they get super frustrated. And I get that. I understand that because sometimes... Sometimes the way we teach and preach about it and talk about it and sing about it and testify about it, it really does make it sound like so long as you know when you pray to prayer, you're good. And I'm all about knowing when you pray to prayer. I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Nothing wrong with that. But if, if, if that's the only anchor point you have and no, no life of ongoing faith, no fruits of repentance, um, then, then I think we're doing ourselves a disfavor as a church teaching this doctrine and living out this doctrine. Let's talk about one more. We'll go home. Eternal security is not licensed to sin. So keep pursuing holiness. It doesn't negate your faith, so keep believing. But it also is not a license to sin, so keep pursuing holiness. Can you turn to Romans 13 real quick? Would you do that? Romans chapter 13. If you're still with me, say amen. All right. It's a few of you. It's good. I like this verse. It's helpful. Romans 13, verse 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Paul's writing to save people here. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do not willfully sin. Reject it. Protect yourself from it. Run from it. Make provision to survive temptation. Our confidence in God's forgiveness of our sin, watch your church, shouldn't give us a lighter view of sin than unbelievers have. It's the opposite. It should should breed in us a, a carefulness. About sin in our life. Listen, when a non-believer sins, they're just following their instincts, right? But think about this. When a believer sins, they're saying no to the judge that declared them innocent. They're saying no to the father that adopted them. They're saying no to the savior who died for that sin. And they're saying no to the spirit who is grieved by that sin. Pastor David is telling me 
that he talked to someone recently uh, that, that was coming into the faith. And that person was really troubled because it felt like they were, as they explained it, they were sinning more now than before. And it gave them an opportunity to explain to that person that the reason they were feeling that way was because now they were more awakened to their sin than before. Their conscience was now informed of the depravity of their own soul. And that's good. Regenerated people, saved people should be awakened and sensitive to those things in their life that displease their master. Not indifferent to their sin like unbelievers are. And also, saved people shouldn't use their eternal security as a license just to live however they want. God's love for us should motivate us to confess sin and forsake sin that Jesus died for. Not embrace it. Not to stay in it. In fact, make not provision for it. Have prudence. Get ahead of it. Be so careful. Be be, be in such a fear of God and, and, and even fear of the consequences and and the pain that sin brings, that you will be careful not to walk in its path. Galatians 6, and I'll be done. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What does Paul say next? God forbid. You ever said that to your kids? God forbid. You're saying, are you crazy? God is not for this. Then he asked this question, how shall we, rhetorical, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? In other words, knowing how gracious God has been to you, how could you continue to sin against him? Parent might find themselves asking the same question to their children after all I've done for you. You're still behaving this way? How are you doing that? And Paul's asking the same thing of us as children of God. How could you persist in your sin after everything that God's done for you? God forbid. So in conclusion tonight, what the Bible says about the eternal security of saints is both a warning and a comfort, right? If you view salvation as something you took care of in the past to give you just a clean slate... You're not trusting in Jesus, living in faith right now. The the Bible doesn't really offer any comfort for you. The sermon's a warning. Faith without works is dead. James chapter 2. But here's the comfort. If you are trusting in Jesus now, you will trust in Jesus in the future. If you are in Christ, you always will be. He will hold you fast. You may waver. You may have a season of doubt. You may even have a season of sin in your life. You may fear your faith will fail, but Christ will hold you fast. This sermon comforts you tonight as a child of God. So Miss Kay, why don't you come to the piano? I want to close with that hymn tonight. Can we do that? Can we close with that? And as we're singing this hymn, if if this sermon has been a warning to you, I want you to meditate on that tonight. I'm not going to call you to come forward tonight. I'm not going to do that. I want you to think about it. And I want you to schedule, if, if you know, man, I'm trusting the wrong thing. 
my salvation. This has revealed that, that I, I'm not a child of God. Then friend, I want to show you how you can be. And the only thing that would prevent you at this point probably is pride. People thinking you are, but you aren't. That would be pride. I hope that you would say, you know what? I'm not willing to go to hell just because I'm a little embarrassed. I'm going to get this settled. And for those that just need to be reminded that, that God, through your faith, will keep you saved. I hope that this was a comfort to you. And a reminder that eternal security is not a license. It's a privilege. And we ought to be motivated to live for God out of his love for us. Amen? Stand to your feet.